you are Locked On A's, your daily Oakland A's podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How's it going, A's fans, and welcome to episode 175 of the Locked On A's podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, noted baseball fan Jason Burke, and on today's show, we are going over the top third baseman of the Billy Bean era, and folks, this is quite a group. I am expecting the voting to be extremely close between the top three candidates, and if you want to vote for number four, sure, go ahead. Uh, I'm not going to stop you there, but only because I can't. <laughs> so if you're wondering how to place a vote, all you got to do is go to our Twitter feed, at LockedOnAs, and the poll will be pinned to the top of our profile, and while you are there, we still have polls running for first base, second base, and shortstop, so make sure to vote in those as well. And there's been some runaways with some of these categories this week, and I don't think that that's going to happen with third base today. So uh, before I get into this monster of an episode, make sure to follow us on social media at LockedOnAs on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at ByJasonB on Twitter, and if you have any questions for us, please send those to LockedOnAthletics at gmail.com. So we are going to go ahead and start off with the number four player on the war leaderboard at third base during the Billy Bean era. And technically, Olmedo, Sines, and Danny Valencia finished higher than the guy that I'm going to talk about in war, but neither played much more than 100 games at the position for the A's. And since their war totals were so close, I decided to make Kevin Kuzmanov the fourth best uh, third baseman of the Billy Bean era. And Sines played roughly a third of his games at third base, so uh, his war total of 3.2, a little bit misleading. I think today would have been a little bit lower if you were just taking his third base uh, stats. And Danny Valencia, Valencia was only with the team for like a season and a half, and in his full season in Oakland, he also played a fair amount at first base and in the outfield, so Kuzminov gets the nod with 2.7 wins above replacement because he played all of his games at third base, and I know that Kuz wasn't with Oakland very long either, but because he only played third base and uh, also uh, behind the scenes thing, uh, his story also lends itself to another person on the list, so it was kind of like a segue for me, so uh, that is why he is number four on this list, and uh, sure, the ends justify the means on this one, you'll be happy here in a minute, but anyways, uh, Kevin Kuzminov, he hit 242 with a 279 on base percentage and an 80 WRC plus his bat was not great uh, with that WRC plus meaning that he was 20% below league average with 100 being league average uh, so that's how that works um, anyways his bat wasn't great but in his first full season in the A's lineup in 2010 he put up 11 defensive runs saved and that landed him in the top four among third basemen that season. So he had a decent glove going for him, but his bat is really what kept him down in the A's lineup. Uh, they ended up uh, making the switch over to Scott Sizemore in the 2011 season. And then Scott Sizemore was supposed to be the A's starting third baseman in 2012. And I was excited about Scott Sizemore. I don't remember why necessarily, uh, but he went down with a knee injury early in 2012. And it felt like the optimism uh, of that season was going to be short-lived because I was like, oh, Scott Sizemore. He's he's the starting third baseman, you guys. Not Scott Sizemore. However, will we go on without Scott Sizemore? I mean, the A's trotted out Eric Sogard at third base on opening day in Japan in 2012. And then uh, Josh Donaldson got some work over there early in the season, too. But he wasn't the guy that he became later on uh, because he was sent back to Sacramento at the end of April. And it wasn't until August that the bringer of rain would be bringing the rain. 
So in between when Josh Donaldson was getting his first look at third base and then when he was bringing rain later in August, they had a Brandon Inge play in third base at the beginning of May and he hit some huge dingers including a grand slam against the Blue Jays and then the Tigers. Uh, he hit one against the Tigers, his former team as well, just a couple days later. And he had something like 10 grand slams and a thousand RBI in like one week for the A's and it was a lot of fun and it felt like that was a jumping off point. But according to their record, it was not. It was the first time that they were above 500 all season. Uh, they went well below 500 shortly thereafter, but uh, it felt like Brandon Andrew was like a, an igniter for the season, and uh, it felt like he was giving the, the fan base something to believe in there, uh, even though he didn't necessarily. He wasn't a great uh, bat in the lineup. He had some big hits, but uh, he hit like 200, so... You know, that's why he wasn't sticking around. That's why they were looking for other answers. So what does any of this have to do with Kevin Kuzminov? Uh, not much, honestly, but it was his declining numbers that made the A's turn to Scott Sizemore, and it was Sizemore's injuries that made the A's go to Brandon Inge, who started making the season fun, and he would later give way to the third-ranked third baseman on our list, and that is Josh Donaldson, ladies and gentlemen. And I have to say that I almost feel like we shouldn't be mention mentioning Josh Donaldson's name this close to Thanksgiving, given that he was traded on the holiday back in 2014. But let's focus on the good times, even though there's only a couple seasons of them. Uh, and it's basically two and a half seasons with the A's, maybe three if you want to be generous. He played in 405 games with them, and he hit 268 with a 347 on base percentage and a WRC plus of 128. That is 120, or sorry, not 128, that is 28% above league average, and he put up a 13.8 war in his time in the green and gold. That was an impressive war total for just a couple of seasons. And he also provided some solid defense for Oakland at the hot corner, totaling 26 defensive runs saved in two and a half seasons. So, you know, he, he was a solid all-around player for the A's. And between Donaldson, Brandon Moss, Ioannis Cespedes, and a trio of Cook, Doolittle, and Balfour, those were the main pieces to the runs in 2012 through 2014. And those teams were just so much fun to watch. And that's why I like uh, talking about those guys. Because uh, 2012 may have been when I legitimately fell in love with baseball. I had been watching it for years, like my whole life up until that point. But I really started to get into the numbers and get into it a little bit deeper in 2012 because uh, that was such a magical season. I watched I think every game and I, that was the first year that I had uh, season tickets. Lots of fun. Anyways, uh, I have to say that the one memory that sticks out for me when it comes to Josh Donaldson is a just a random walk-off homer that he hit uh, at the end of the 2014 season. So one of the last games that he was with the A's and it came against the Phillies. I was in the press box for that game, which is roughly in the third deck area of the stadium behind home plate. And uh, seeing him hit this ball to just straight center field to win the game. And it seemed like it went so far from where we were. I was like, oh, well, that's cool. And I can't remember if it felt more like it was inevitable that the A's would win this game or if it was like, hey, they won a game. This is amazing because they were really struggling towards the end of that season in 2014. But uh, either way, it was really cool. And uh, I knew that I had to write a, a story to finish that. And I was like, oh, that stinks. Um, so... Maybe that's why I was like, uh, okay, maybe that's why I have mixed feelings, because on the one hand, I was very excited about the A's winning, and then on the other hand, I was like, oh, crap, I have to rewrite everything. So uh, there was that. Uh, and then there's always the Josh Donaldson tarp catch or tarp catches uh, where, you know, he caught the ball near the tarp. And the, the one where he fell between the tarp and the stands is definitely the better of the two tarp catches. But uh, of course, you know, after all of this 
memory making that he did for us. Uh, he was traded along with everybody else following the 2014 season. And uh, do your favor and do not go look up the return package for Josh Donaldson. Uh, obviously, some of us, uh, like I, I have it memorized because I just don't like being happy, I guess. Um, but anyways, a, a quick tangent, though, that I was thinking about, and that was that uh, I talked about the A's getting Derek Barton in the Mark Mulder trade earlier this week. And it seems like Trading for young guys and high-profile deals just hasn't worked out well for the A's. So, like, teenagers young, like Franklin Barreto young, we all know that he was in the deal. Don't look up, you know, who else is in the, in the deal. Um, but uh, it feels like it, it's just not worked out for the A's. So maybe don't acquire teenagers when you're trading away uh, all-star and MVP candidate-level guys. Um, just want to point that out for anybody who wants to make a trade for, you know, other guys that we kind of like on the team currently. So don't trade them for teenagers. That's all that I ask. Yeah, trade them for better players. That's what I want, better players. Anyways, I also just really quickly want to point out that uh, the A's traded Brett Lowry after a season with the team to the White Sox, and uh, the A's got back J.B. Wendelkin, and he's currently with the A's, so the Donaldson trade lives on, kind of. <laughs> but anyways, coming up on the show, we have the top two third basemen of the Billy Bean era, and on Monday, we're going to be running down fly balls in right field, so stay locked in with Locked On A's. I'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you guys by the best tasting protein bar ever. We are talking about Built Bar and the new and improved Built Bar is even more deliciouser. They have 18 amazing flavors, including nut and non-nut flavors. They have six new flavors, which include caramel, brownie, cookies and cream, cherry, barcia, lemon almond, cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. They've still got their original 12 flavors like raspberry, German chocolate, and orange. And no matter if you're getting the new and improved Built Bar or the original 12 flavors, all of their bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They are soft and easy to chew. They're protein bars that taste like candy bars. And all of their bars are built for the health-conscious person. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. And all of their bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and great for the keto diet. So to get your hands on some of these delicious treats, all you got to do is go to BuiltBar.com. And then from there, you enter promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off of your next order. You'll also get a free cooler with purchase while supplies last so use promo code locked on for 20% off at builtbar.com Welcome back to the Locked On A's podcast. If you guys are enjoying the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you like hearing podcasts. And also make sure to follow us on social media at Locked On A's on Twitter and Instagram. I am at ByJasonB on Twitter. And if you have any questions for us, please send those to LockedOnAthletics at gmail.com. So given the players that we've already talked about today, it should come as no surprise that current A's third baseman Matt Chapman comes in at number two on the war leaderboard. And Chappie has played just 17 more games than Donaldson, 422 to 405, but he has accumulated at 16.7 wins above replacement, nearly three more wins above replacement than JD. So far, Chapman is at 255 with a 336 on base percentage and a WRC plus of 126, which is just two points below Josh Donaldson. And what really sets Chapman apart from Donaldson is his defense. Even though Josh was also a solid defender with highlight reel plays, Chapman has been a solid contributor with the bat, but also a platinum gold winner, a, an all-star, and has gotten some MVP love from the voters. Finishing 7th in 2018 and 6th in 2019, he wasn't on the ballot in 2020 because he got hurt. So, uh, you know, he'll rebound. He'll win the whole damn thing next year. Uh, and to that point, when he can put together a slightly better offensive season while continuing to show off his glove, Chapman's going to 
going to make a legitimate AL MVP case. If he can stay healthy and have like a season where he hits like 35 homers, hits like 275 with a 340 on base or something like that, and he puts up his defensive numbers, he's a shoe-in, I would think. Uh, I mean, there's still that Mike Trout guy, but uh, he's beatable these days. And just a little behind the scenes, as I was saying Mike Trout is beatable, I was hand-waving him away. I'm like, yeah, this guy, whatever. <laughs> Anyways, while Chapman's batting average hasn't been stellar, sitting at 255 for his career, his on-base plus slugging, or his OPS, which is one way to see how dominant a player is offensively. Uh, it has been well above average. He, he has hit, gone for 864 in 2018, 848 in 2019, and 812 in 2020, and he put up above-league average OPS while needing surgery on his hip last season, and those couple of those last couple of games where he was just striking out constantly, sure did not help his OPS in 2020. So you'd have to think that he was still in line with like that 840, 830-ish OPS before those last few games that pretty much knocked him out of the season. So uh, he may not have the elite bat just yet, but he is definitely already a solid stick in the lineup. And then there's obviously his defense. And when I think of Matt Chapman and his glove, I always go to D. Gordon trying to lay down some beautiful bunts against the A's and Chapman just swooping in to field them. I was watching a highlight and there was one that was like between the catcher and the pitcher. So it was well like it was a very well-placed bunt and he swooped in from third base and threw out D Gordon who's one of the fastest runners in baseball and uh, that's what I think about when I think about uh you know Matt Chapman and his glove and I believe that it was also a D Gordon bunt that uh he laid down where Chapman who was playing shortstop due to the shift still got to the ball and made the throw in time and they just smiled at each other and D Gordon's like how the hell did he do that and uh that's what I think about when I think about Matt Chapman just because that's it's so much fun to watch that little bit of rivalry is like hey you're a really fast guy who can bunt for singles and stuff and I'm a really good defender let's go and uh, I have a lot of fun with that and he's just a wizard over there and it's more confounding when he does not make plays than when he does he's just so much fun to watch over there and uh yeah. Anyways, offensively, my main memory has to be a play that I didn't actually see live at all. Uh, my wife and I were at Disneyland last September, and I was getting updates as we walked around Galaxy's Edge. Uh, flex. <laughs> For the second time, no less. Anyways, uh, I had seen that the A's were down 2-1 to one in the ninth inning, and I was like, well, dang, that stinks. And then uh, we were leaving Galaxy's Edge through Critter Country. I'm just trying to paint the scenario for you guys of where I was in Disneyland. So we were leaving through Critter, Critter Country, and my phone started blowing up, and Matt Chapman hit a go-ahead two-run homer to dead center field in the ninth, and that one ended up being a game winner with the A's winning 3-2. to two. Uh, I, I know that he's had bigger hits, but this one really ranks near the top for me just because when I rank memories being able to remember where I was and what I was doing definitely brings some weight to the memory for me even though I didn't see it I, I watched the highlights and all that stuff same thing with uh, Loriano's throw didn't watch it live but holy crap that was amazing um and you know it Things like that bring memories like that to the forefront for me. And also that picture of him celebrating in the dugout afterwards. I have used that in so many different areas. I think that it was our cover photo or, you know, banner photo or whatever on Twitter uh, when we first started the account. So, uh, yeah, I, I love that photo. It's amazing. He's very excited and uh, all that stuff. But moving on to the best third baseman, according to War, and that is none other than the man that they signed to the most expensive contract in A's history, and that is Eric Chavez, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, one of these days, someone is going to sign a contract for more than six years and $66 million with Oakland. But all these years later, 
Xavi still holds that title, and the reason he's number one is because he played in 1,320 games for Oakland, uh, and uh, on a per-game basis, Chapman has him beat, uh, according to War, but for the sake of what we're doing here with this series and everything, longevity definitely counts a little bit in our rankings, so that is uh, why he is number one. And over those uh, 1,300 games from 1998 to 2010, Chavez hit 267 with a 343 on base percentage and a 113 WRC plus while accumulating 32.4 wins above replacement. He also won six straight gold gloves from 2001 to 2006, but injuries derailed him the rest of his time with the A's, limiting him to 154 games over the next four seasons. And uh, this is a little tidbit that uh, I hadn't paid attention to, but I found it interesting. Uh, Chavi was the 10th overall pick in the 1996 draft out of Mount Carmel High School in San Diego. And the guy that was picked before him was Mark Kotze, who ended up being a teammate of his from 2004 to 2007. And the fourth overall pick in that draft, Billy Koch, was the A's closer for the 2002 season before being dealt for another future A's closer. And I'm sure that I'll be talking about the, the closers a little bit more in detail once we get to the relief pitcher portion of this whole series uh, next week. So be on the lookout for the, the Billy Koch and company podcast. But sticking with Eric Chavez, he made his major league debut when he was 20. And that is just something that you do not see the A's doing these days. And it took him a couple seasons to be above average at the plate and three seasons to start bringing home those gold gloves. Uh, you just don't see that from teams at all these days, not just the A's. And a large part of that is because teams are more aware of a player's team control, especially over the past few seasons. Uh, year after year, we just see guys getting held down in the minors until a couple weeks past in the regular season so they can get that one extra year of control. And for a team like the A's, I mean, it makes sense from a business standpoint because they're able to plan out their competitive window a little bit better. But from a fan standpoint, you want to see your team as competitive as possible each and every season. And we, we saw the contract they offered Eric Chavez. It's because they knew that they had to lock him up before free agency because he would have been a silver slugger, a four-time gold glove winner, and someone that had been garnering MVP attention by the time he was hitting free agency at the age of 27. So that's why they offered him the contract is because they weren't going to be able to get him as free agent by any means. But let's stick to the good stuff. Let's talk about some memories here. And my glaring memory of Eric Chavez is an odd one because my mind works in mysterious ways, as I'm sure you've gathered over the course of this week. But my main memory of Eric Chavez isn't a big hit that he had or a great defensive play that he made. It, it's the regular defensive plays that he would make. We would field the ball, and then this is later in his career. He would field the ball and then throw it directly into the ground like he was uh, you know, providing a bounce pass over to first base. And I always thought that that was really weird. It was the first time that I had ever seen it. And and uh, I've only seen a couple guys do it since, but I mean, if it works, it works, I guess. Do what you're going to do to get the out at first. Of course, you come to realize that he's doing it on purpose th and that he hadn't forgotten how to throw, so it ended up being okay. But it really took me by surprise the first few times that I saw that. I was like, what the hell's going on? And I feel like the broadcast team did a good job of uh, calming me down on that one. But if I was just going to go with one image in my head of Eric Chavez, it's got to be of him throwing the ball with his left leg extended. You know, his patented Eric Chavez throwing the ball to first base motion, I guess. Um, there's only a few pictures of them on the internet that I could find, but uh, that's what I think of when I think about Eric Chavez personally. And uh, I do have one small confession to make for you guys, and that's that even though Chavi was with the club for a long, long time, I don't think that he ever held the mantle as my favorite A's player. And this isn't meant to knock him, it's just that he had some stiff competition. I mean, there was obviously Mark Ellis, who you heard all about just a couple of days ago, and I loved uh, Chad Bradford with the submarine delivery, Eric, po uh, Eric Burns with his hair literally 
literally being on fire. And uh, actually, as a fellow blonde, I think that I just wanted his hair at that age because uh, it, it's amazing. Um, not the current hair, the, his 2002 hair was fantastic. Um, then there was also Rich Harden, who I always felt was going to be a superstar, and injury slowed him down too. And uh, for some reason, I really liked Justin Dukeshire. Uh He was beloved in the hearts. And uh, I'm just going to stop naming guys because uh, Chavez is getting buried here. But I think that the reason for that is just because those injuries starting in 2007 kind of buried him in my, in my mind a little bit, you know? Uh, and I, I feel bad for that, obviously. And by the time that he left for New York as a free agent... I wasn't like happy that he was leaving, but I was happy that he was going to be getting another chance with another team. Uh, maybe the old, you know, change of scenery, uh, magic that works for some people. And, uh, you know, he actually had a couple of seasons there at the, at the end of his career before retiring as an Arizona Diamondback during the 2014 season. You know, I, I was happy for all of the time that we got to spend with Eric Chavez. And I was happy that he had to, you know, a, a decent ending to his career being a productive major league baseball player and getting to end it on his own terms. So, uh, that was really cool. But Anyway, that is it for me today and for this week, A's fans. I'm going to be pre-recording a couple of episodes over the weekend to keep you guys fed on A's content next week, but leave some room for that turkey. There's also going to be a Twitter poll up on the A's uh, best third baseman of the Bailey Bean era, uh, so that'll be up by the time you're listening to this, so make sure to go over and vote in that. It'll be pinned to the top of the profile, so it'll be easy to find for you guys. And as always, the link will, to the poll will also be in our show notes, so you can just click on the show notes and do that too. So until next time, stay indoors and celebrate break good times Oakland keep wearing those masks and I'll talk at you guys next week